podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Hello and welcome to the Daily Red, your lunchtime catch-up on all things Liverpool FC and your daily reminder that the Reds are top of the league. Also, of course, in the round of 16 in the Europa League, in the fourth round of the FA Cup, and now 2-1 up after the first leg of the EFL Cup semi-final. Liverpool beat Fulham last night, made hard work of it. I thought we were the better team up until they scored. Really poor from Virgil on their goal. He didn't look 100%. I assume whatever illness it was that ruled him out over the weekend is just still lingering. And I can relate because I've been sick since Stevens's day, Boxing Day, and still not properly shook this thing. Um, we lined up pretty strong, I think it's fair to say. Kelleher in goal, which I think everybody expected. Connor Bradley came in at right back. We had Ibu and Virgil at centre-back and Joey Gomez at left-back. In midfield, we went with Gravenberg, Alexis and uh, Curtis Jones. And then in the front three, we had Harvey Elliott, Diogo Jota and Luis Diaz. The lack of creativity without Trent, without Mo, without Dominic was pretty evident. But I did think we saw Harvey Elliott buzzing around, picking up good positions and trying to make things happen. I thought Alexis played notably higher and was trying to get himself more involved in the final third, trying to take on more of that creative burden, but just wasn't clicking for us. Couldn't find that last pass to create a real opportunity. And we go 1-0 down. Virgil, with just such a poor header, drops to Willie, and Connor Bradley slips, which is just really, really unfortunate. And... Virgil, for me, just doesn't do enough then to try and block the shot, doesn't get his feet sorted out, and William puts the ball through his legs, and it beats Queeving Kelleher. And I've seen a lot of people blame Kelleher. I just think those people need to give the head a wobble. There are definitely concerns to be had with Queeving Kelleher. Um, his shots faced to goals conceded numbers are concerning. 36 shots faced, 14 goals conceded. So that's only 22 saves uh, this season across his appearances. That's concerning, uh, especially when you look at the saves made. Many of them are straight at him. I'm struggling to think of many saves he's made. I can think of two so far that he's made that you wouldn't just automatically expect him to make, expect anybody to make, expect yourself to make if you were in the same position. 
But what I will say in Cuevin's defence is after that, I did think his, his handling was very good in a couple of tricky situations. Thought his his play with the ball was quite good, um, with the ball at his feet. And we reacted quite well. It took us a little bit of time. We went in at halftime, 1-0 down. And you were very much looking at one or two players and thinking, you need to get off. You're just not good enough to play for this team right now. Jürgen persisted with the same group of players until 59 minutes, and then he made changes. And he brought off Harvey, and he brought off Gravenberg, and he introduced Darwin, and he introduced Cody. And for about two minutes, we looked in absolute shambles because nobody seemed to know what they were meant to be doing. Everybody seemed to decide at once that they were going to go forward and attack and get beyond the ball. And nobody remembered, other than Virgil and Ibu, nobody remembered to stay behind the ball. We left ourselves open. But then we equalise. It's brilliant from Jota. Just tenacity, pure tenacity. Barrels into a couple of challenges, wins the ball both times. The ball breaks free to Darwin. His first time layoff goes to Curtis. Curtis takes one touch to get it out of his feet, hits it with his left foot. It does take a big deflection and it wrong foots Leno, loops over him and we are on level terms. And then within a couple of minutes, we're ahead and this is a really good goal. It's Curtis setting it off, feeds Jota, he drives forward, he slips in Darwin, he makes a good run and it's an outstanding cutback from Darwin. It's a lovely clipped cross cutback. And Cody Gakpo's finish is outstanding on his left foot. It is a tremendous technical finish. And we're 2-1 up. And from there, we probably should score more. Darwin has a big chance. And of course, because he's missed it, you get the usual Muppets on social media coming out to slander him and ignoring the fact that what it actually is is an incredible save from Bernd Leno. If Allison does that, he's getting loaded. And this is what winds me up so much about so much of the Darwin discourse. We're all very happy when an opposition striker misses a chance to give all the praise to Ali and not look at whether or not it's a bad miss. But at the other end, we never do the same for our strikers. Not just Darwin, but Mo when he misses a big chance, Jota, Diaz, Gakpo. Like, you have to remember, there is another guy there trying to stop our lad from doing what he wants to do. And I just think that last night from Bert Leno is an outstanding save. And that's what should be lauded. That's what should be talked about. Not whether or not Darwin missed the chance. Darwin did everything right in that instance. It just, it didn't go in. The keeper saved it. It happens. So I was looking at Darwin last night after the game and he leads the team in assists now. He's got 10 assists, which is really, really impressive. And I was thinking about his all-round game 
like we talk about the lack of composure in front of goal, and, and there definitely is a lot of merit in that. There's definitely moments where he's not composed enough. But take him outside the box for a minute and look at his all-round game. And look at how his composure has improved. Look at his first touch. It's improved. His hold-up play has improved. His link-up play has improved. His final ball has improved. So he's making all the improvements everywhere else. He's putting in an immense amount of work. He's pressing like an absolute demon. The under-pressure boys have been highlighting that. From where he was a year ago to where he is now, in terms of his off-ball work, is an enormous improvement. And in terms of his on-ball work, also for him, is going to be his finishing. And he doesn't even have to become a great finisher. If he just gets back to being an average finisher, he is going to be 20 goals and 15 assists every year. Right now, he's got eight goals and 10 assists. And he's doing everything else well. And I was thinking, I wonder how this compares to other strikers around the league. So we remove Erling Haaland because... He's not a player. He's a fucking cyborg. Ollie Watkins, 24 goals and assists in 2,180 minutes. That's a goal or assist every 90.8 minutes. But I would point out that three of his goals were in the Europa Conference League qualifiers and two more were in the group stage. Now, the Europa Conference League is an absolutely abysmal calibre. So if we remove all Europa Conference League for Ollie Watkins, it's 19 goals or assists in 1,830 minutes, which is a goal or assist every 96.3 minutes. Gabriel Jesus, 10 goals or assists in 1,290 minutes. So a goal or assist every 129 minutes. Richarlison, 10 goals or assists in 1,080 minutes. So a goal or assist every 108 minutes. Jared Bowen, having a great season by all accounts, and he is, as is Ollie Watkins, 19 goals in 2,265 minutes. That's a goal or assist every 119.2 minutes. Rasmus Hoysland, six goals or assists in 1,660 minutes. That's a goal or assist every 276.7 minutes. Alexander Isak, 13 goals or assists in 1,520 minutes. So it's a goal or assist every 116.9 minutes. Nicholas Jackson, 10 goals or assists in in 1,735 minutes. So a goal or assist every 173.5 minutes. And then finally, Dominic Solanke who's being linked with Newcastle and the potential of a £60 million transfer, 14 goals or assists in 1,880 minutes. It's a goal or assist every 134.3 minutes. Darwin Nunes, 18 goals or assists in 1,665 minutes. That's a goal or assist every 92.5 minutes. 
So the only one that beats him is Watkins, if we include the Europa Conference League, which we shouldn't because it's the equivalent of playing against League One and League Two teams. So Darwin is producing at a better level than all of those players. And I would argue there's none of them work harder than him off the ball. Now, there's certainly Watkins works immensely hard off the ball. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. He needs to start converting his chances. He needs to score more often. But right now, he's already producing at a level as good as or better than all of the non-cyborg strikers. And if you're wondering why I included Bowen for West Ham as opposed to Antonio, it's because he is the primary number nine now. I mean, I know Antonio's injured, but that's why, and that's why Bowen's playing there. But He's also played there in the Europa League, I think pretty much in every game they've played in that competition. And they look a much better team with him as the nine. Plus, I didn't really think it was fair to include Mikel Antonio because, well, he's just not very good. And the only notable thing he's done this season is embarrass himself when he said West Ham were finishing above Liverpool and then put in an all-time stinker performance at Anfield and then not turn up for his podcast the following week. So I thought it was fair to include Bowen. And remember as well, with these Darwin numbers, other than Bowen, all of the players included are out-and-out nines. Darwin has played a number of his minutes on the left wing. A decent number. He's had multiple appearances on the left wing. So he hasn't had the benefit of playing through the middle at all times. So there's that to factor in as well. And yet he's still producing at a rate better than all of them. You know? Um, On today's edition of Stupid Fuckers in the Media, we go to our old friends at TalkSport and Jason Cundy, who had some criticism of Virgil van Dijk for his mistake last night. Now, of course, Cundy, clueless as he is, didn't seem to factor in that Virgil has been ill and just decided to go for the jugular and denounce him as being overrated. He said he has, he's had two good seasons. That's what he said. He's had two good seasons. And I thought to myself, you know, When I hear somebody say that, I just immediately know I'm listening to some stupid cunt. And I I, I apologize for the use of that particular word, but it's it's warranted when it comes to somebody as stupid as Jason Cundy. So Virgil at Southampton was the best centre-back in the league in 15-16. So there's one good season. 
he was the best centre-back in the league in 16-17 until he got injured. <clears throat> but he still played 21 league games. So there's another good season. Now, the following season, he started poorly with Southampton. Didn't want to be there. But then he was brilliant when he joined us. But you wouldn't say it was a, a good season overall because for half of it, he was uninterested. 1819 is the single greatest centre-back season I've ever seen anyone have ever in the history of the game. 1920, he was outstanding. 21-22, he misses the majority of the year with the, the knee injury. Sorry, 2021. 21-22, then he comes back and he's the best centre-back in the world again. So there's three good seasons, three great seasons just with us and two very, very good seasons with Southampton. So there's five very good seasons. I mean, if we want to go back, he was incredible for Celtic for two years. But perhaps that doesn't count for Jason Cundy you know, who holds people to a higher standard after his career as a sub at Chelsea, uh, a rarely used squad player at Spurs, uh, a failed loan at Crystal Palace, a failed loan at Bristol City, uh, a failed loan at Ipswich, which somehow it turned into a permanent deal. Uh, he was then a rarely used squad player at Ipswich, before one last failed season with Portsmouth and he retired at the age of 31. Now, he claims he was forced to retire due to a knee injury. The truth is, he was just garbage. In a 12-year career, he played 146 league games. Now, Mats hasn't always been my strong point, but I believe that's a smidge, a, a, a fraction over 12 league games a season. Um, I don't think you should be talking about anybody. I really don't. Many years ago, John Terry, who I would never normally go to for any type of decent opinion, he said that he was happy to take uh, criticism from his peers, but not from people like Robbie Savage, who'd barely had a career. Robbie Savage's career looks like that of Lothar Mateus next to this chump. So I'm firmly of the belief that this guy so should really shut up. Like, I understand that he's a Chelsea fan, and he got his start in media with Chelsea TV. They were not too upset when he decided to leave. So I understand that he's biased towards John Terry. But when you try and claim that John Terry was as good as Virgil, or actually, in your words, far better than Virgil, you have no credibility at all. And I don't want to I don't want to hear about his league titles. That's team success. We can talk about Champions Leagues if you want, though. John Terry has the most embarrassing Champions League final track record of pretty much any player. Misses the deciding penalty in 08. 
is suspended for the final when Chelsea get there in, what, 2012? And then turns up in full kit with shin pads to lift the trophy. He had shin pads on. It's an overlooked part of the ensemble that he put on himself as if he'd somehow played some part in the game. Zero shame. When Roy Keane and Paul Scholes missed the 99 final through suspension, they wore suits. They didn't turn up to try and lift the trophy. They were dragged onto the pitch by their teammates against their own wishes because they didn't feel they should be on. They didn't feel they deserved those medals, despite the fact they'd played enormous roles in getting them there. Their humility meant that they wanted to stay off the pitch and let the players that had actually won the final have that moment. Their teammates dragged them on. They wore wore suits. Roy Keane did not try and go up and take the trophy off Peter Schmeichel and lift it. But not John Terry. Not John Terry. He turns up, full kit, again, shin pads, and takes the trophy to lift it. Like, what, what were you doing, John Terry? But we shouldn't really be surprised. We shouldn't really be surprised. Um, Jason Cundy is an idiot. He's a really, really bad pundit. He has no idea what he's watching. He has the proper gammon opinions. And he talks about players that he has no business talking about. No business talking about them at all. He's a very unlikable fellow, like most of them at TalkSport. Particularly his uh, counterparts, Goldstein and O'Hara, they're both morons as well. But to come out and say that John Terry, Rio Ferdinand and Saul Campbell were all far better than Virgil is just insanity. There's no basis for it at all. There's no basis for putting Rio and John Terry on Saul Campbell's level. He was far better than both of them. And Virgil is better than Saul Campbell was. He made one mistake last night. It led to a goal, unfortunately. He has been incredible this season. He's had one bad season in his career last year. And even that, he wasn't dreadful. He was just well below his own level. But if you compare Virgil last season to the other centre-backs around the league, there were very few that were actually better than him. Very, very few. But as I've said before, the only person Virgil can be compared to is his prior self. All of these other centre-backs, they get compared to Virgil because he's the bar. He's the measuring stick, not just for the modern game, but for the Premier League as a whole. He's the best centre-back the Premier League has ever seen. And that's just the fact of it. He was the best centre-back in the league at Southampton. And he's been the best centre-back in the league since the day he joined us. 
and Jason Cundy can go fuck himself. Um, I was asked a question. I can't remember who it was now. Let me see. I did take a screenshot of it, so I'd remember. Niall Purcell. Purcell? Purcell. Let me know which way it's pronounced now. Um, How many ex-players are genuinely good pundits? Hmm. So, Alan Hansen was a great pundit. I actually think Lineker, when he used to do punditry, was very good at it before he moved into the hosting gig. And I still think he's quite good at his analysis. I don't think Shearer is a good pundit at all. He's far too biased towards Newcastle and all things English. He can't shake that. He holds grudges against the teams that he didn't like as a player as well. I think Ian Wright's a good pundit. You're not looking at Ian Wright for too much in-depth analysis, but I do think he hits the key points and his personality is very warm and likable. So I think Ian Wright is a good... I think Ian Wright knows his strengths as a pundit and plays to them. And he doesn't try and venture too far out of that. So I think that's really good. I find Micah Richards likable but he's a bit dim. And even like his fellow pundits will say, I don't know how much he knows about football, but he's a really nice guy. Roy Keane is an outstanding pundit, whether people like it or not. He is absolutely brilliant at it because there's no bullshit. Does he sometimes get carried away? Absolutely, he does. But he's also at times playing a character. So you have to live with it. He's very good. Sue Ness is very good. I know he's not on Sky anymore, but Graham Souness is very good. Like Keane, he's straight to the point. He's honest. And he was a great player. See, the difference between Keane, Hansen, and Souness and the rest of the modern pundits is they were genuinely great players and the rest of them weren't. Like, nobody is confusing Gary Neville, who had a great career, with being a great player. Jamie Carragher was a, was a good player, not, not a great player. He had a couple of great seasons, but he was never a great player. So many of the pundits are just were, were mediocre, poor players. Lineker was a very good player. I don't know that he was ever a great player. Great goal scorer. I think that's why he's good. Ian Wright was a, Ian Wright was a great player. Not to the level of Hansen, Souness and Keane, he was a level below them. But Benin Wright was a great player. I think that shows in his punditry. I think he understands the game a bit better. Even though, like I say, you're not looking for him to go in-depth and tactical on things. I think when he talks about player mindset, I think Ian Wright's as good as there is. Um, I Jamie Redknapp is, is kind of, he's inoffensive. So I don't mind Jamie Redknapp if he's there with a couple of strong personalities and, you know, say one strong personality and one good analyst. I think Redknapp is quite good. I think Redknapp would make a decent host. 
What I do like about Redknapp, though, is he won't back off his point. Even if he's wrong, he commits to his point, and I like that. Jermaine Genus, I, I, again, I find him quite vanilla. He's he's not good or bad. He's, you know, he's fine. Um, Who else does Sky have? Well, obviously they have Carragher and Neville. I think Neville, when he first started, was very good. For the first four to five years, and I think since then, he's been in considerable decline as a pundit. I don't think he's as dialed in on it anymore as he used to be. I think he's gotten far too caught up in the Manchester Unitedness of it all. Carragher, I think, was genuinely poor when he first started. When he had time to prep, he was fine, but when he was having to spitball things on the fly, he was poor. Now I think Carragher has gotten better, but again, I think he's gotten too caught up in certain narratives. I think he's too reactionary as well. Like if a player has a good 10 games, Jamie Carragher will announce them as the best player in the league and stupid things like that. Like the Rice stuff. Transformative. A bargain at 105 million. Arsenal are 10 points worse off than they were last season. Transformative, is he? Can't score goals to save their lives. They're no better defensively. What has he transformed other than to make them worse? But Carragher reacts to a handful of games, ignores the poor games. He did the same thing with Lovren. He saw Lovren have a couple of good games on TV when he was doing the games. When he was at the games, he was doing them for TV. Some of a handful of games. Picked him in his team of the season and then admitted he'd only seen him play four times that year when he's at Southampton. If he'd watched Dejan Lovren at all in the back half of that season, he'd have realised he was a sack of shit. That's what Carragher gets too caught up in. Immediate reaction without actually looking at the body of work. Stecklin Rice had loads of stinkers this season, seven or eight of them in all competitions. They don't get mentioned. Just the games against the Dross where he's played well. So I don't think I don't think he's great, but he's all right. Um, Michael Owen is just—he's just very boring, isn't he? Like Owen's really boring. Um, Skulls, Skulls is like the other two, like like Keen and Sunes. Like he's quite forthright in his opinions, and again, he he was a genuinely great player, but. Again, like Neville, I think he's too tied up in the United stuff and too blinkered by that view and maybe still too much in that player's mindset of not wanting to praise other teams too much. Rio Ferdinand is dreadful. He's as bad as as there is. He is absolutely awful. I quite like Peter Crouch. Again, like Ian Wright, I think he stays in his lane. I think he adds... A decent amount from the football side. I think he's got a good personality. So I, I like Peter Crouch. Robbie Savage is awful. 
I don't know who else they have. I, I don't really care. Um, moving on to talk shite. Uh, Cundy is is a, an abomination. Um, like Bon Lahore is dreadful. O'Hara is dreadful. Who else do they have? Is that it? That might be it. And the last one then is the most recent addition to the ranks is Daniel Sturridge on, on Sky. And I think he has the potential to be the best of the lot. Because I think Sturridge has a deep understanding of the of the game from a tactical point of view. I think he's going to be able to add quite a bit there. He is outstanding at explaining a striker's mentality, a striker's point of view, at putting himself in that striker's boots and talking about the different things that might be going through his head. Not what is going through his head. He's explaining the different things that might be going through. He's also a great personality. Like Daniel Sturridge is, is an outstanding personality. And while Studge, Studge is an odd one. He he was a great player who didn't have a great career because of injuries, but yet he still won a ton of stuff. Like if you look at Daniel Sturridge's career, you can't say it was a great career on the pitch because he didn't play enough. 327 games. You look at his time with Liverpool, 160 games, only 67 goals, and you think, oh, that's that's not a great return. But you have to remember, so many of them were sub-appearances. But he showed in 13-14 that he was a great player. He genuinely was a great player. But he spent his career coming off the bench or being managed weirdly or playing out wide. And then obviously the injuries kicked in. But Studge was a great player. He just never got to become that great player. He never got to show the world what he was capable of because his body let him down. But I I do think he can speak to the game from a very high level. So I would say, how many genuinely good pundits are there? Four. Five. I'll go to five. Mm, Yeah. Wright, Sunes, Hansen, Keane, and Crouch. And I think Sturridge is the sixth one. Again, like I said, there's a couple of them that are just kind of vanilla that I don't mind. Like if you put Redknapp on with, say, Sturridge and Keane, I think that's going to be a good show. I'm going to watch that. I'd watch Genus with those two as well. Or I'd watch Genus with... I'd even watch Genus with Sunes and Micah Richards or Keane and Micah Richards. Like, I don't think Mick is a good pundit, but he is a likable personality. I think that would play off some of the dullness of Genus, but I think Genus is better at the analysis than uh, than Mick. I mean, Genus will be a decent host. He will. He'll be a decent host. But yeah, there we go. Um, I'm sure there's lots of stuff on 
This is Anfield and Liverpool.com, but I will leave you to check those out yourself for today on AnfieldIndex.com. There is a couple of pieces about Gravenberg, including Steve Nicol having a go at him. Uh, David Lynch talking about how Jurgen Klopp's substitutions changed the game last night. There's some stuff about the game last night. Uh, Jordan Henderson continues to use his pals in the media to push his agenda. And Oliver Kay has said he would jump at the Newcastle chance. I don't imagine there will be any chance to go to Newcastle, but it would show how little loyalty that fella is for a Sunderland lad from Sunderland's academy to join Newcastle. It would speak volumes about who Jordan Henderson actually is. Uh, Podcast-wise, just scouted from yesterday, the media matters from yesterday with Ben Boxack, and there is post-match Raw, which was Guy Drinkle uh, with myself and Jim Boardman. So there we go. Talk soon. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.